we are um, coming to the end of uh, Acts for this year. So we are going to look in a moment at Acts chapter 20. And uh, my name is Clive, I'm one of the elders here, in case you're a visitor. Great to have you on live stream as well. So very, you are very, very welcome. This is the first time you've been here, or you've just been here a few weeks. We've been working our way for a few months right through this astonishing book of Acts. And next week we're going to take a bit of a breather and we're going to become Christmassy and look at the beautiful Advent story. Um, thank you guys for putting on a little bit earlier than Martin last week. Martin, let's hear it for Martin last week. He tried to squeeze. <laughs> he squeezed a, a, a quart into a pint pot and uh, I think he did ever so well. He was trying to get to the end to half past 11. He squeezed a longer talk into a shorter period of time and didn't he do well? And the reason he wanted to do that is because of this badge here, that what we want to do from about half 11 onwards, uh, it's a bit flexible, but Martin was working towards a ministry time and so he wanted to finish his talking time. So that's why he was a bit quick uh, last week. I get a bit more time than him, lucky me, but uh, after Acts 20, we're going to look at the Christmas story and then in the new year, we're going to come back and finish the book of Acts because you've got so much to tell us. So let's uh, get looking at it. Let's first of all um, look at the map, shall we? So there is a, a map of where we've come to. So this is, in Acts 20, this is the last of the big trips that Paul does. It's called the missionary journeys. And he's been traveling through the Mediterranean world preaching about Jesus to uh, anyone who will listen. He starts with the Jews and goes to the Gentiles, people who are non-Jews. He's coming back from a very long trip and he's through modern day Turkey, Asia Minor, and he's calling for the Ephesian elders. And um, he doesn't want to go actually into Ephesus, so he asks them to come to the beach at a place called Miletus, and he's gonna meet them on the beach. And what we're about to look at in a moment is uh, what I've described as a touching farewell. So this has got a huge amount to talk to us about the smell of the New Testament. And Acts up to this point has been church on fire. And you'll forgive me for skipping the first bit of chapter 20 because it's actually all about falling asleep in church. So there's a young guy. So if you're feeling a bit droopy eyelided, you're in good company. There was a young guy at the beginning of Acts 20 called Eutychus. Because Paul's been going on and on and on and on for so long with his longest sermon ever, the poor guy falls out of the window and crashes to the ground. And then Paul runs downstairs and, and gets him back on his feet and the guy lives. But so this is not gonna be about falling asleep in church. If you've had a hard week, I promise I won't call you by name and say, please, <laughs> wake up. It's okay. So what I want to do is talk about goodbyes and about the feel of the New Testament, how mobile and dynamic it was. But also I want to talk about how we are so valued by God as his sheep. So basically two big points today, okay? So let me just talk about goodbyes before we look at the passage itself. I don't think they're ever easy, are they, goodbyes? Uh, I remember... Uh, leaving my house in the north of England to come down here some 20 plus years ago 
and it was a house I was quite fond of and I, I, I shut the door, I'd sold it and I drove in my car round the block and then something made me turn round again and I came back to the old house and I waved at it, a few little tears and it'd been a happy place, my kids growing up there and, and then I think, oh, shall I do it one more time, go round the block and I, I can't quite get to move away, saying goodbye with tears in, to a new destination because goodbyes occupy a central place in our memories. I've got some difficult memories and some lovely memories. A goodbye to my, to my dear dying mother. That was a tough one. As she was dying in rich old age, but she was dying. Saying goodbye to my church in the Middle East, which had become a beautiful big international church. I loved them all. Saying goodbye to those dear people was really, really difficult. Saying goodbye to my daughter off to university. She's only 18 years old. You know, what does she know in, right in the centre of London? You know, come on, you know, I've, thought, I've, I've told you everything I know, you know. Oh, Dad, I'll be fine, but I've got to let, let her go. My old dog at the vets that has to be sadly put down. Goodbyes. Goodbyes aren't easy. And then finally, I remember, one of the most difficult goodbyes was to my old soft top, duck egg blue Morris Minor. And I, I had it, as I was 18 years old, and I'd go off to uni, and I couldn't afford to take it with me. I had to say goodbye to it. 364 VJB, where are you now? Where are you now? But this passage is one of the great farewells in the Bible. And it's a beautiful interlude in Paul's eventful life. So Paul has missed his chance to get to Jerusalem by Passover. He's traveling, trying to get back, but he maybe can get to Jerusalem by Pentecost for the great feast. So he gets to Miletus and he sends one of his helpers to Ephesus and says, come on, meet me on the beach. I need to be able to say some things to you. And you would think, you know, of all, of all the things we read that Luke wrote about Paul, I think there is none more emotional than what we're about to read. There's nothing more intimate than this final farewell. This is an apostolic leader who is meeting elders who are going to have to step up after his departure and have to carry on the work of ministry without Paul's help. And he's going to be looking into the faces of some of his closest friends. And he's going to realise from now on you're going to have to stand or fall by yourselves. You imagine taking out people who are in key leadership in your life and you're never going to see them again. People that you've relied on. And somehow there's something deep here where God is also saying to us, it's good to be able to trust people, but in the final analysis, who's your bedrock? It's got to be God himself. And this is a hard lesson for these Ephesian elders to live with because they've known him for some three years working amongst them. He's no longer going to be available to them now. And so there's a poignancy about this final occasion. And he's not speaking to them like a teacher to students. He regards them as, as his equals. He's taught them really well and now they're going to carry the flame on. So let's look at this chapter from about verse 13 onwards, if we can have the next slide. So here we go. So going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. 
Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived amongst you the whole time. On the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, for I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I didn't cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, yet you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. This is an amazing passage. It talks about Paul's unshakable commitment to ministry which I could spend the whole time talking about how he was determined to preach the whole counsel of God and do it so thoroughly against such opposition. But I want to home in on how this is a warm and pastoral concern for the elders. Paul has a commitment to these saints that goes far beyond his concern for himself. That's an amazing leader. And you'll notice that the idea of shepherd is here all the way through this. It's about, yes, he's an overseer, he's an apostle, these are elders. You can use what word you like, but the, the, the thing that comes through so clearly is this word shepherd. And why? Because we are all the sheep of God's pasture. And sheep are very, very precious to him. It's interesting that we are called sheep. And 
Often when I go up into the South Downs, I think I may have mentioned this at one or two life groups I've visited recently, but sometimes we see cast sheep and sheep are very defenseless and vulnerable. They have, they have many natural predators. They have, they have no claws, they have no sharp teeth, they have no strong armour. They, they're very, very defenseless. They are prey to all. And when you see a cast on its back and it kicks its legs in the air and it can't right itself, and watching these sheep, I'm thinking, oh, please, come on, Mr. Farmer, come over, the, come over the hill in your quad bike and rescue this sheep, put it back on its feet again. And all through the Bible is this motif, this recurring image that we are the sheep of his, past, of his pasture. We are in need of a good shepherd. We get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. And so therefore, Paul's longing is that this It's not just about evangelism, this third missionary journey. Paul is seeking healthy churches with healthy sheep. And therefore he's got this strong word to bring to them. He seeks elders and leaders who understand that they are first and foremost shepherds of God's flock. And that's a mark of good leadership, is that men and women, and I'm talking to so many in this room it's not just about elders not just about life group leaders or cluster leaders we're all caring for someone we're all leading someone on into the next journey of faith this is a word that's applicable to us all but elders and leaders and life group leaders and cluster leaders take take heed what do we learn from this meeting on the beach well the first thing that strikes me is that Paul's example of faithfulness has deeply affected and motivated the Ephesian elders. They realise that he has suffered such trials when he arrives back on the beach at Miletus. And because he is authentic, because he has suffered, because his leadership has not been exercised in some kind of relaxed setting, not in some secure environment, but Paul's leadership has been exercised in the trenches, in regular conflict scenarios, And he is now tough, but tender. He is fully developed in his leadership and apostolic gifting. He is a faithful, persevering leader. And his suffering gives that mark of authenticity. And so therefore his faithfulness shows up in preaching and teaching, not just in the big, you know, in the the lecture halls of Tyrannus and the, the big gatherings in Ephesus, as we saw last week, those huge arenas, those open air, Uh, theatres but also from house to house and that tells me that Paul took pains to be with individuals so if you're sitting in the crowd today and you're thinking nobody notices me the mark of this church healthy is that we find you that your needs are met that we know how to help you move from the next from one degree of glory to another how to move to the next stage in your Christian walk Paul went from house to house. He took pains to be with individuals as well as systematic teaching to entire congregations. What a guy. What a devotion. What a leader. I could go off script here and talk about the importance of life groups, house to house. How important your house is in the great story of Kings Eastbourne. You do realise that, don't you? Your house is fundamentally important for the advance of the gospel. And it, yeah, hospitality, welcoming, not standing on ceremony. I love the kitchen table, not the dining room table. The kitchen table is where all the action happens. 
I'm getting off piste, I mustn't. The next thing I think I pick up from this chapter is that the meeting on the beach tells me that Paul emphasizes leaders' responsibilities. So again, I'm talking to all of you. I know I'm talking to myself as one of the leaders in this church. But he says this, keep watch, be on your guard, pay a careful attention, who to? To yourself, first and foremost. You've got to look after yourself. Coming here helps, but when you get home, you've still got to look after yourself. Your private world is hugely important. You are looking after your own soul. It's what someone called 360-degree leadership. So it's giving my devotion to God, my devotion to each other, but also to myself, I'm making sure that I'm walking well in God. And leaders must, says Paul, keep a watch over themselves and only then over the flock over which the Holy Spirit's made them responsible. Because if they neglect the care and the nurture of their own souls, how are they going to adequately care for other people? Look after yourself and then you've got something to give away. Make sure that you're close in with your Lord, that you are mulling over the scriptures, that you're praying and now there ain't nothing you can't do to help other people. It always works that way round. And in verse 28, these guys and men and women, that we don't know who was on the beach, are called to be shepherds of God's flock. And that simply means that they're to do the following thing, that God calls the shepherds in Israel back in Ezekiel 34. He calls them to account for not doing this. You're not feeding your sheep. You're, you're letting your flock starve. You're not taking care of the weak. You're not tending the sick. You're not binding up the injured. You're, you're not going to look for those who've wandered away and are lost. Go and search for them. It's amazing. And God calls us all to this beautiful pastoral ministry of going looking for sheep that are cast. And even today, there are people here this morning who feel, man, that's me. I feel I've lost my footing. It feels like I'm struggling to get back to my feet and I need the shepherd's crook. You know that beautiful psalm, you know, your rod and your staff they comfort me. Well, the staff had a hook round it to pull the sheep back from the ledge, pull it back from the precipice, get it back on its feet. But the rod was to whack the wolf that was coming to take the sheep. There's a wonderful quote from the Puritan pastors. I love Richard Baxter. This is a 400-year-old quote. Bear with me. Can we have that next slide up? This is the famous book called The Reformed Pastor. This is for all of us, okay? And <laughs> I love the old antiquated English, but here we go. Stick with me. Okay. All the flock, even each individual member of our charge, he's speaking to pastors, must be taken heed of and watched over, to which end it is necessary that we should know each person that belongs to our charge. For how can we take heed to them if we do not know them? We must labour to be acquainted with the state of all our people as fully as we can. What are the sins they are most in danger of? And what duties do they neglect? And what temptations they are most liable to? For if we know not their temperament and diseases, we are likely to prove unsuccessful physicians. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that imply an astonishing honesty and trust between leaders and flock? Doesn't that imply a depth of relationship between us that we know these things about each other? 
Isn't that remarkable? And don't we sell ourselves short? So you don't, don't come too near me. You're not going to know all my temperament and diseases. <laughs> Old-fashioned words. This is amazing. This is the Spirit of Christ who is your good shepherd. He knows all about you and your temperament. And he's imparting that spirit to his people so that this church will become a sign and a wonder that we care so deeply for each other. Amen? Be shepherds, verse 28, of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So the church is linked to the blood of Jesus. The church is linked to the cross. The cross establishes for all time the value of God's church. I can't think of a higher sacrifice than Jesus' blood for us. And therefore, all of us who care for people, not just the leaders, I keep saying this, be aware that the people you deal with have been bought with Christ's blood. The blood is linked to the church. The cross is linked to the church. We have a very holy calling. The next thing I pick up from this amazing chapter is that there's danger in circling the church. That Paul exhorts the elders to watch over the flock, guarding them from savage wolves. Now, I'm sure you know this, but wolves in the ancient Near East were the chief enemy of sheep. And so they would hunt in packs and they would hunt singly. A lone wolf would come in on its own. It might have more success to pinch a lamb that strayed from the flock. And sheep were defenceless against them. So shepherds could not afford to relax their vigilance against wolves. So this was a real scenario that shepherds had to deal with. And the trouble is, sheep are not always the most cuddly creatures that you will notice. So again, when I'm walking on the South Downs, I, I look at that South Downs breed with its big furry head. You know, you know the sort of sheep that I... That you, anyone here know what the South Downs breed looks like? Please put your hand up. No. <laughs> One or two. It's a particular sheep that's up on the hills. And they're often pretty dirty, to be honest, without going into it. And they are targets for unpleasant pests. Lice, ticks worms and they need to be regularly dipped in some very strong chemicals and so do you and I need to be dipped in uh, in the grace of God because we are like them and may I I'm not looking at anybody here but you could describe sheep as silly unintelligent awkward wayward obstinate and stubborn do I have an amen <laughs> okay in fact, it's a proof of creation. And I'm not getting into evolution and creation. I'm way off script here. But how did sheep evolve if they were like that? Nobody give me a smart answer, okay, those of you who believe in evolution. So seriously, you know, they, they need as much help as they can get. And so some people are a great trial to their pastors, as Richard Baxter said. And yet they are so valuable in God's sight. They are the flock of God. And maybe today you are thinking, Do you know, you've just described me. I feel pretty stupid. I've messed up this week. I feel I'm so stubborn. Stubborn is my middle name. Why won't I learn these things? Well, welcome to sheepdom, if that word exists. <laughs> All right? And he loves you. And you've been bought with his precious blood. And this is the right place for you today because we're all the sheep of his pasture. We're all broken people who found grace 
So if you think you're disqualified, welcome to the flock. Welcome to the flock. We all need a good clean-up and a good dip in something, whatever it is that they dip them in. Let me give you Baxter again. Can we go to the next slide on Baxter? This is so poignant. This is the spirit of Christ that Paul is imparting to the Ephesian elders about how Christ feels about you and me. Did I die for them and will you not look after them? Were they worth my blood and are they not worth your labour? Did I come down from heaven to earth to seek and save that which was lost? And will you not go to the next door or street or village to seek them? Have I done and suffered so much for their salvation and was willing to make you my co-worker with me? And will you refuse that little that lies upon your hands? This is the spirit of Christ upon us that we might be his co-workers and rescue many a cast sheep. Come on, let's take up the challenge. Let's reach our neighbours. Let's, let's bravely initiate those conversations. Say, are you feeling okay? Are you doing all right? How are we doing post-COVID? How are you doing worrying about your bills, your finances? How are you doing with your health? So many anxious people out there. So many worried people souls and there will be people who arise within churches who have a self-promoting desire and this couldn't be further from what Paul is talking about he's warning them about wolves I told a funny story in a recent life group that I visited about uh, having just established my church in the Middle East we got to about a hundred people we're beginning to become visible beginning to get known and people started to visit us to check us out and we were a multinational congregation and a guy from a so-called developing country arrives um, in the church and I, he's a big guy and um, I'm slightly intimidated by him but I, I just watched him, didn't know what he was doing here, he just came, arrived unannounced. And so at the end of the meeting I said to him, hello, my name's Clive, um, uh, good to meet you, what's, what's your good name? And he said, my name is Marvellous. He said, I said, oh, that's really nice. I'm glad that you like your name. My name's Clive. It's a little bit old-fashioned English. I'm glad that you think that your name is marvellous. He said, no, you don't understand. My name is marvellous. And then he said this, Pastor Marvellous. And, and I, you know the, when your antennae are out and you don't feel quite comfortable? So I said, well, it's great to have you here, marvellous. You're very welcome. And I invited him back next week. And the next week, I noticed he was going up to some of the pretty girls in the church. And he was starting, I heard that he started to ask a few people for money. And so I had to say to him, uh, Pastor Marvellous, you are very welcome in this church, but I want you now to do the joining the church course as of now. I never saw him again. He was a wolf, but he looked in sheep's clothing. Now, what I'm not suggesting here is there are wolves here, but what we are saying is there are wolves who are trying to snatch sheep all the time. There are people ambitious for their own agenda who will twist the truth of the gospel into something that serves their own ends. And we need to be wise to that. We need to be, understand that to keep this church healthy, we are strong and true in the gospel. And that leaders protect the flock and that we are together uh, for the truth 
and that we, we make sure that all the sheep are safe. What an example Paul has been in this way. He stayed three years in Ephesus to build this beautiful church. Look at the, look at the letter to the Ephesians. Look at what he wrote. Look at how developed this beautiful church became reading the reading that letter to the Ephesians. Remember, he says, for three years I never stopped warning each one of you night and day with tears. And I'm, I want to make my last point about battle because actually we, are, we can be hoodwinked and think we're, we're still cosy, there isn't really a battle raging around us. Paul was so aware of the fledgling church in the first century, we're going to protect this thing because we're in a deep, deep battle And so he says, cast yourselves wholly upon God. He is sufficient for the tasks. Commit yourselves before God and the word of his grace. And that's verse 32. We could talk about that a lot this morning, but I'll put that to one side because I want to come to the parting on the beach and then close with this idea of battle. This is the smell of the New Testament. Deepest friendships, transcending family, tribal, racial, national class barriers to, to produce a beautiful people who are highly mobile, traveling light, giving away, sacrificial, risking their comfort, even their lives for the sake of proclaiming Jesus' love and grace. That's the feel, that's the fragrance of the New Testament. It's intimate on the beach it's emotional it's relational always that's what we're building here and kneeling on the beach as Paul does with the elders it reminds me of Jesus kneeling in Gethsemane there's a humility in this kneeling as Jesus did to wash disciples feet this is the spirit of Christ we kneel with each other it's a strange posture we're not used to it but somehow kneeling together it it, it just dispels barriers doesn't it there's something very humbling about this we're on the same level together and they're feeling this mental pain they're never going to see him again and the Greek word for sad in verse 38 is odunio which means distress or deep anguish when you lose someone you feel that when you know you're never going to see someone again that you love man that goes right to the heart This is the same word that Mary and Joseph felt when they lost the boy Jesus, age 12, in the temple in Jerusalem. They felt the pain and anguish of separation. It's the same word. Where's our boy? He's only 12. We've lost him in the crowd. Oh, the agony of separation. And the the Ephesian elders knew that Paul was departing to certain suffering. They knew we're never going to see this guy again. But the most beautiful thing is, despite the fact that he was going to his death, the thing that they felt most was they loved him so much, they, missed, they would miss him. It's personal. Isn't that beautiful? How deep are you going with your friendships? That you would deeply, deeply miss your brothers and sisters in Christ if, you were never, if they were going to go off and church plant somewhere, if they were called by God to go somewhere else, if they were called to glory. They didn't attempt to hide their sorrow They put all their future in God's hands. There were tears, hugs, kisses, sadnesses. And I love the way the message translation translates the last bit of chapter 20. It says this. Then Paul went down on his knees with all of them, kneeling with him, and he prayed. And then a river of tears. 
much clinging to Paul, not wanting to let him go. They knew they would never see him again. He had told them quite plainly, the pain cut deep. And then bravely, they walked him down to the ship. And so, with the tearful goodbyes behind us, we were on our way. That's the New Testament. That's the acts of the apostles. And that's the acts of this church that we are called again to be mobile, to plant, to go. And as we come into land, before we look at Christmas, we're going to take a pause, but I hope that one of the things that rings in your ears out of, out of today is that we are a highly mobile people. And that we love each other and we're going to miss each other if we're called to go to other places. Did you know that the Jewish Midras, which is the commentary in the Old Testament, taught that all kissing in public was indecent? With three exceptions. One, you're allowed to kiss the king's ring, the kiss of high office. Two, the kiss of reunion meetings, so you're allowed to kiss each other on reunions. And three, the kiss of parting. And so we have here something deep in the culture and the affections of the Jews and the Gentiles. And a lot of people say that Paul wasn't particularly kissable, but I don't think that's actually true if you look at Acts chapter 20. Okay, now, battle. Let's finish on this. Can I have the next quote up? Here is a, a Christian Catholic writer called J.R.R. Tolkien. And what we've got here is Paul going off to finish the race. He is on his journey back to Jerusalem. He will go to Rome after this and he will go to certain death. And what we have here is a quote from Lord of the Rings. And this quote is at the end of a battle. I want to pick out a couple of things from it. This is Tolkien. It's almost like a commentary on Acts. So this is the end when all the battles have finished and all the, all the, 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 the fight has been won. And at the end of this great titanic battle... He writes this, all the host laughed and wept and in the midst of their merriment and tears the clear voice of the minstrel rose like silver and gold and all men were hushed and the minstrel sang to them now in the elven tongue, now in the speech of the West until their hearts wounded with sweet words overflowed and their joy was like swords and they passed in thought out to regions where pain and light flow together and tears are the very wine of blessedness. Do you know that reminds me of this chapter? That somehow joy is like swords. Now it's not literally swords because Jesus said, put your sword away. My kingdom is not of this world. But this this sense of joy of battle, the joy of going out into the world and and fighting for the truth and declaring the gospel against opposition. And somehow already you've been wounded with sweet words, the sweet words of grace. And then you understand that your whole Christian life is somehow pain and delight flow together. Pain and delight, that's not pain and light, it should be delight, sorry, it's a typo. Pain and delight flow together. And tears somehow are blessed and somehow this is abundant life. Somehow we're called to, the, to all the struggles, all the highs and the lows, that when Jesus said, I've come, that you may have life and have it in its fullness. It's this sort of stuff. Joy like swords. We are called to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and fight the good fight. You're called to battle. We'll never see the queen again in this life. And for some people, it's how quickly her memory has faded. 
You may have suffered a bereavement recently, the grief of losing or the pain of parting. And we've had quite a few members, several members of Kings who have died recently. And yet the thrill of all of us together, even though we're losing people, passing on to glory or moving to go to other places uh, in the obedience to God. In Kings, we're on an adventure together and there's costliness and suffering. And with all these amazing outcomes and the joy of seeing people set free it's laughter and tears all the way you're picking this up this is what Acts is all about Gandalf himself said and I read this to you is that I will not say do not weep for not all tears are evil okay I'm going to end on this picture so there's a picture of um, can you just go to the there okay this is a, one of my great adventures when I was out in, in the Gulf this is the Rolex Towers in Dubai, next to the creek. And uh, the church had been going some, oh, I think it was about two years by this point, and we needed new premises. And they just built the Dubai World Trade Center. And everything that you do is through influence in the Arab world. You need to know someone who knows someone. And the Arabic word for influence is wasta. Okay, so you need Wasta to get stuff done. Okay, and I had a friend of a friend of a friend who was a cousin of Sheikh Mohammed, and he lived at the top of one of these Rolex towers. And I got an introduction because what I wanted was to move our church into the World Trade Center that had just been built. There were some amazing rooms, and I was thinking, this is crazy because we're we're a Christian church, but come on, nothing ventured, nothing gained, and so. I managed to get myself an introduction with a cousin of the royal family. And I remember taking the lift to the top of that left-hand tower, thinking to myself, man, I'm really pushing my luck here. But it's through Wasta that I managed to get an introduction to this, to this sheikh. So I went up in this lift, which was kind of, I imagine, a, like a, a, a gold lift, a bit like Trump Tower in New York. <laughs> and... Um, I arrive in this palatial office at the top of that tower and I'm thinking I'm really pushing my luck here but I'm going to ask for this church to be able to hire a room in the World Trade Centre so that we can have higher profile and he received me very cordially he said Mr Clive sit down let us drink mint tea and eat dates and let us talk about our families he didn't want to do business until we'd properly chatted about our families and I'm thinking, I had to pinch myself. I'm from Eastbourne, right? I, I'm, I'm in one of the top, I'm asking for a room in the World Trade Center so that our church can be high-vis right in the center of the city. And I thought, I must be mad. I'm, and then he said, so tell me about your church. I said, well, it's a Christian church, but we're all, we are Abrahamic religions. I start with a, in a safe place. And he was very courteous. And it took him eight months to say no to me. <laughs> but, but being the gentleman that he was, he didn't want to say to my face, I'm sorry, you're a Christian church, you can't possibly do that. But the cheek of me to try that. And I thought, blow it, I'm going to just give it my best shot. I think I was so naive, I didn't realise what I was doing. But what's your adventure that God wants to call you to? What's, what's, what's your next step? Because you are called to battle. You're called to joy like swords. You are called from the security of your relationships in this beautiful Acts church. And you're called to go. Amen. Let's stop.
we're going to have a time of ministry now because I think there are two types of people who need ministering. This badge is not being worn just by myself. Um, could those people who've got badges with them, could they just, just stand up for a minute, please? If you, or if you didn't collect your badge, it doesn't matter. So look around the room, everybody. Just stand up. Or if you had the email and didn't collect your badge, it doesn't matter. Okay, all around the room, there are people who are wanting to be able to pray with people. And eventually, you want to get the whole church feeling very free to pray. This is ministry team badge. It's got my name, Clive, on it for my accountability. But we want to be a people who leave the last 10, 15 minutes to ministering to people. There are two types of people. Okay, guys, you can sit down. Girls, thank you. So we're now going to minister to each other. There are some lost sheep here this morning. You're feeling that you've lost the shepherd's voice. And you're feeling you're down a ditch. And you're feeling a bit dirty. And he wants to come and tell you how much he loves you and put you back on your feet. So if that's you in a moment, I would like you to make a response. If you want to, you can come down to the front if you feel that's what God's calling you to do. If you don't want to do that, just reach out to someone near you, perhaps someone who's wearing a badge, and say, I'm that sheep this morning. I need the tender mercies of my shepherd. There's another set of people here who are thrilled at the idea of going, but they don't quite know what God's saying to them at the moment. It might even be church planting. Remember Keith and Julia Sullivan who've gone up to Shrewsbury, our latest couple to go. Remember Ollie telling us at the prayer meeting a few weeks back that we're considering moving out into the wider borough. Or it might be a particular nation or people group that you feel so burdened by and you're called in some way to go. It might be never leaving Eastbourne, but it might be going to visit or travel or come back, come and go, come and go, Antioch Church. There are many people here who are up for adventure and the, wind, the winds post-COVID are blowing through this church and it's time to step up and say, I want to say goodbye to some people and give them a kiss. Goodness. The Holy Spirit's electricity is in the room. <laughs> but it's time maybe to think, start thinking about saying goodbye, kissing goodbye to some people because you know you're being called. I don't know what it means for you, but I know there are people in this room who are feeling like that. Okay, so should we stand together? Can I have the band back? We've still got five minutes or so. Okay, Caleb, do you have a song for us? Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so let me just pray for some hurting sheep. So if that's you now, Holy Spirit, I just pray now for your presence to be here. Thank you, Lord. So if you are saying, Lord, I just need a fresh touch from you this morning, don't be afraid to put your hand up now, just so we can identify you. Just say, Lord, that's me. Just put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And if there's anyone here or couples here that feel that they are called in some way to get out of their comfort zone and they don't quite know what the word go means, just, can you just put your hand up? You feel you? Yeah, thank you. Just put people putting their hands up. Okay. Oh, good, okay. 
So look at, just, just let's look around, let's be aware. Let's worship now. And if you're near someone who put their hand up, just if you've got your badge on and you're nearby, just go and pray with them or the person sitting next to them, standing next to them. Okay, let's worship. <laughs>